Welcome to the Women in North American Agriculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship. My name is Jean Coden, and I am the digital editor of Aquaculture North America. Now, if I could sum up this conversation, I would choose the word advocacy. Today, I'm talking to Jennifer Woodland, who is the CEO of Nucha North Seafood. It's a Canadian Indigenous-owned company that provides business development support to commercial fishing and aquaculture businesses in the Indigenous communities in Vancouver Island in BC. Jennifer is not an Indigenous person herself, but I think her passion in working with these Indigenous communities and supporting their local economy is a really inspiring thing. Her passion for the industry in general is very inspiring. Jennifer is also the chair of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance, and she talks about why advocacy plays an important role in growing the industry and moving it forward. But before we jump into the conversation with her, I want to first thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for making this podcast possible. Now please enjoy our new episode of Women in North American Aquaculture with Jennifer Woodland. First of all, I want to kick off the episode by saying thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us on the podcast. Um, It's an honor because reading about your story and your career, it's just, I have so many questions. It's super fascinating and you're clearly a great influence and a role model in the industry. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for those kind words. And the honor is mine. I mean, in the industry, you grow up reading these magazines and reading these publications. So to participate in this today is my honor. Thank you. Uh, My first question always is um, what first inspired you to choose a career in aquaculture? I was directed here. Honestly, I grew up uh, in a commercial fishing family. So my dad was a part owner in a fish plant in Newfoundland, originally from Newfoundland. And so the fishery was really important to us, obviously, not just to our family, but to our whole province. And the cod crisis that happened in the early 90s didn't just impact my family, it impacted every community, it impacted the whole province. And, you know, it was a really kind of pivotal moment in my life. You have these moments in your life. And and at that time, it was before the cod crisis and after the cod crisis, like it was momentous in our lives as Newfoundlanders. And I mean, we haven't fully recovered from the cod crisis yet. Like that's how devastating it was. Um, And I'm a a very environmentally minded person. Seeing what that did really just imprinted on me greatly. So I was just in early university years when that happened. And I knew immediately I have to do something in fisheries management or environmental sciences. And during my time at Memorial University, uh, the aquaculture program began in sustainable aquaculture. And I was like, now what's this? You can feed the world sustainably without uh, so much pressure on the wild stocks. And so it was a no brainer for me. Once I learned more and more about this aquaculture program, it just was a complete fit for where I was at that time and where I continue to be. What was your program of study when you were aquaculture program came to Memorial University, you said? Yeah, so I went to Memorial in Newfoundland, and I did uh, my undergraduate degree in biology. And when I graduated with that, then I immediately enrolled in the graduate program in aquaculture, which was taught at the Memorial University's uh, Marine Institute. So what was your first job in aquaculture? Oh, my first job in aquaculture, really, it was early on, uh, during my 
time with Memorial University, I applied for a job at the Ocean Science Center, which is the research center that Memorial runs. And I was working with a professor there doing research uh, on water quality around mussel farms, looking at paralytic shellfish poisoning and, and doing research around that. So that was that introduced me to traveling actually to sea sites, looking at mussel farms and getting a handle on, you know, shellfish aquaculture. While I was working there, the neighboring laboratory where my friends worked, they worked for uh, Dr. Joe Brown, who was really establishing aquaculture in Newfoundland at that time, leading the research on it and pushing for the program in aquaculture. And he was just such a great guy, just really liked hanging out with him. And he was very passionate about aquaculture. So it was it was that job that really fully cemented this is this is the career goal for me. So you mentioned before that you grew up in Newfoundland. That's where you studied and first started your career. And now you're in Campbell River, BC. What made you make the move? And was it intimidating to move coasts? <laughs> We've moved from Newfoundland to British Columbia, British Columbia to Hawaii, Hawaii back to rural Newfoundland, rural Newfoundland back to BC. So wow. we've been all over. But uh, as a part of the program with MUN to do the aquaculture program, you were required uh, to do a three-month work term. And so at that time, it was before Facebook and before, you know, really scooping websites that, you know, you kind of heard about BC, you knew it was a magical place, big trees, but you didn't really know too much about it unless you caught a glimpse of it on TV. And there was a work term to work for the salmon farming industry in British Columbia. So myself and two of my classmates were like, hey, let's just go, right? Let's go for three months and then we'll come back, <laughs> but we'll spend the summer in British Columbia. And it was it was remarkable, actually. I mean, other than the fact that, yep, the trees are really big. They're really straight, which always struck me when I first came in BC. It's a beautiful, beautiful province. The industry was big, right? Like, I had no idea when I first showed up on this salmon farm that it was like, wow, like, this is really happening. Like, this is, these are a lot of fish. This is a lot of meals. And I was really, really impressed um, coming from Newfoundland, the size of the industry. And I remember I had only planned, like you couldn't pry me from the rock. So I really was only going to come for the three months. And I remember I sent a photograph home to my parents and it's me holding this ginormous fish during a brood sort. And I'm just like, I'm so happy. And I called them like weeks later and said, did you get the package? Did you get the picture? And my dad was like, yeah, we did. And I said, didn't you like it? And he said, no, I can tell you're never coming home. Right. Yes. I was oh, so wow. happy in that moment. Right. And it was true. I, I came for, you know, three months and just kept on staying. I just the industry really ticked a lot of boxes for me in what I wanted to do. There was areas for growth. It was never boring. It was really interesting. I was working on the water um, and I was surrounded by some really incredible people uh, that had been in the industry here for a while, but I was, it was just like a sponge. I was just learning so much. So it was, it was a fantastic experience. That's really just kept me on a wonderful path. Yeah, for sure. You have to follow your passion. And that's a great story about following your passion. Was there ever a time where you felt like, oh, maybe I should move back? Um, we did move back. But so, uh, you know, in, in the years that after I moved here, I met my husband, his parents are also from Newfoundland. He also worked in the industry. We got married. Um, and then he was recruited actually to Hawaii to work for an aquaculture company in Hawaii. I was on maternity leave at the time. I was like, again, right? Sure, we'll go for here, see what that's like and, and check that out. And that was a marvelous experience. 
while we were in Hawaii, we got recruited to come back to Newfoundland and take what we had learned here in British Columbia in the salmon farming sector and work with a company on the rural south coast of Newfoundland to develop the industry there. So we jumped at that. I really couldn't wait to take what we've learned and implement it on the south coast. And I evolved as a person then, like I went into this industry, and everything was about the environment, about sustainability, protecting the environment, protecting wild stocks, creating food with a balance. Um, but by then I was a mother. And the South Coast was really um, a valuable experience to me because when we first moved to the South Coast of Newfoundland, it was, a, it was very depressed at, because of the downturn in the fishery. There wasn't a lot of economic opportunity. And they really were looking at aquaculture as a way to revitalize these communities. So at first, it was kind of a lot of pressure saying, wow, like, I hope we can do this and do it right and do it well for these people because there were a lot relying on us. But it was the opportunity to really get in and grow in consultation with the fishery, in consultation with the towns. And, and it was a marvelous experience because we really did see the economic turnaround of these 22 very remote communities. Like somebody dropped off scallops to my house one time, didn't even know who they were. They were like, thank you for what you're doing. Just wanted to say thanks and laughed. I remember getting my hair cut one time and the lady was thanking us. And I'm like, well, you're a hairdresser. Like, why do you care what we do? And she was like, this time last year, I was getting ready to close my doors. People were only getting haircuts if they absolutely needed it. Now people are working. The fish plant is open. There's disposable income. I'm buying a tanning bed. Like she's like, people are coming in and getting perms and, and different hair colors and you know, they're spending their money here. So it really opened my eyes when we saw new houses being built. There hadn't been a new house built since the 80s. We saw expansions to the grocery store. We saw new businesses popping up. We saw people moving back to the community, like the population was increasing, that it really opened my eyes beyond the environment that is where my passion was to the importance to the economy as well. So it, it was a really valuable experience. Yeah, for sure. Was this uh, the same time that you served um, as the president of the Newfoundland Association? Yeah. So during that time, I worked for Cold Ocean Salmon, which is a subsidiary of Cook Aquaculture, and um, got involved with the Newfoundland Aquaculture Industry Alliance. And through there, then was able to take on the role as president for several years. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about that a lot more a little bit later. But first, I wanted to talk about your current position as CEO of New Chanul Seafood LP. I hope I said that right. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, New Chanul Seafood is a Canadian Indigenous owned seafood company on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And you serve as the chief executive officer. Um, can you tell me how you got into the role and Tell us a little bit about the company itself. Yeah, so New Chalmers Seafood is a First Nations-owned seafood company. Um, they're a commercial fishing enterprise. They're owned by five First Nation communities on the west coast of Vancouver Island. So what we do is we work to really reconnect um, Indigenous fishers and back to a livelihood on the water and Indigenous communities to create an economy from the ocean. We have quite a vast commercial fishing portion of the company. So we purchase the license of quota, which is quite expensive. And then we can lease them out to indigenous fishers at a reasonable cost. We identify business opportunities in aquaculture and assist our nations to creating opportunities in aquaculture. We own St. Jean Smokehouse and Cannery, which is a custom processor. So we have expertise in processing. We own the St. Jean's and the Raincoast Trading and a Gratitude Seafood brand. So we have experience in brand development, marketing and retail and e-commerce. 
And um, I got into it by when we were in Newfoundland, we planned to stay for two years. We stayed for seven. During that time, I got recruited back to British Columbia to work in a program called Aboriginal Aquaculture in Canada Initiative, which was a federal government initiative to help re-engage and identify opportunities for First Nations communities in aquaculture. And again, I wanted to relive kind of what we were experiencing on the south coast of Newfoundland of bringing these opportunities and creating economic opportunity for rural communities. And I was like, oh, we could go back and do that for First Nations. Let's go. Um, So we came back to Kemper River. And through that, I was re-engaged with somebody I had met during my salmon farming days, Larry Johnson, who was the president of New Chalmers Seafood. And so when I finished my contract under the, uh, we called it the AACI, the Aboriginal Aquaculture in Canada, he called me right up and was like, we want you to come work with us and help us uh, manage our fisheries portfolio, but create that balance in aquaculture opportunities and help us grow our seafood company. So I signed on with them, I think in 2016 now. That's amazing. Um, what does a typical workday look like for you these days? It's busy, but I would have it in no other way. Um, it's never the same. And I think that's one of the marvelous things about this industry. It's it's always changing, not just seasonally, but, you know, daily. Of course, the pandemic has made us sit down a lot and a lot of Zoom calls. But, uh, you know, every day is different. You know, really keeping an eye on consumer trends, what the aquaculture market, what the seafood markets are doing, identifying opportunities in aquaculture, ground truthing, potential partners, managing the fisheries portfolio. I'm spending a lot of time right now on our gratitude brand as we're seeing kind of the uptick in sales and interest in Indigenous branding. Today, I'm talking to you. Yesterday, I was talking to a young woman who wanted to talk about careers in aquaculture. We're preparing for a shareholders meeting. You know, like every day is different. There's something always new is always popping up in the world of seafood. And uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting, actually. I, I wouldn't want to be bored and I wouldn't want to be stuck to a desk. And aquaculture, you know, seafood in general has really allowed us to always be traveling, always to be on the go. Not so much in the pandemic, but I'm hoping to get back to it. But pre-pandemic would be a lot of site visits, field visits, spending time in the processing plant, which is one of my favorite things to do. So it's uh, it's pretty dynamic. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask, um, you know, if we imagined ourselves outside of this pandemic, what would be your most favorite part of the job? There's so many favorite parts. I mean, I'm always happiest when I'm in a boat. I've only lived on an island. I've lived on Vancouver Island, Newfoundland's an island. I lived on the big island. I can't ever, ever see myself living away from the ocean. So the days that I actually get to spend out in a boat doing a field visit or watching some, you know, monitoring getting done makes me very happy. But growing up at a processing plant, I feel very at home in our processing plant. And just to see when people think aquaculture, they, they really kind of tend to forget we're food producers, right? So to see the end product of, you know, our fisheries and aquaculture coming through the plant and, and ending up as a product that's going to be on somebody's plate and just seeing so many people at work at once and it's busy and it's loud. It's uh, that's one of my favorite things to do for sure. And to tour people there, because it's always fascinating when you bring, especially non-seafood people who just have questions about what you're doing or interviews and you bring them in just their face. It's like, wow, (laughs) this is neat. It's like, yeah, it is. I can't wait to do more site visits because yeah, as you said, it's sort of being in nature and kind of looking at the vastness of something like an aquaculture farm is incredible. Well, everybody who goes into this industry, I think the number one thing, if you ask them, like, you know, what are their interests or why did you get into this? And the first answer is usually I like to be outdoors. 
right? Or I like to be in nature. And that's one of the lures of this industry for sure. Um, so because this podcast is about sharing women's stories in the industry, um, how many women do you work with in your team on a daily basis? Looking at the website, I see a lot of women's names, especially in um, Trudy Warner at the, in the board of members as a relation Indigenous relations leader. And then we have uh, Kathy Happynook, who's the general manager. And then we also have Julia Oscarson, who's the administrator on the team. So how is that like? You know, I've always been surrounded by really strong women. And Kathy is far more than our general manager, fisheries manager. She is the backbone of this company and one of the strongest women I know. Um, I've always been surrounded, luckily, in this industry by really strong women leaders. This industry is really about caring for animals and caring for the planet. And, and I think that the essence of women is about caring, right? So it's a it's really an endearing industry for women. Yeah, we the leaders and you know Larry's always joking like do what the women say because he's a little outnumbered in our office. And no, it's been fantastic. And even within the processing plant, the general manager there, Normal, you know, she's another woman leader. And just look around this industry; there's quite a few. I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, in your experience in the aquaculture industry in general, do you see a lot of balance between men and women in the seafood sector? I do. You know, I've been lucky. Um, You know, the lady who actually called me yesterday made a comment that she wanted to reach out to me uh, to talk about careers in aquaculture. She's interested now that she's finished her science degree to look at aquaculture. And one of the things that struck her when she was doing research around the industry was how many, you know, women leaders were coming up. And um, I've, I've been very lucky. Like when I came into the industry, I will say I was one of the very few women at the table within the company I was working with. And over time that changed, but the industry works in such a way that there's a lot of collaboration between the companies. And in that collaboration, the committees that I was participating in and some of the work that we were doing collaboratively with other companies was with other women leaders, some of which were my mentors, just incredible women that uh, had leadership roles and, and were really forging the path for growth in this industry. Who were your mentors coming up? Well, it started off my dad incredibly passionate about seafood and about preserving the culture of Newfoundland. And, you know, I, it's kind of like history repeating itself. I remember rolling my eyes. There he goes talking about fish again. Here we go. We have to listen to (laughs) fish again. And now I see my kids doing the same thing, rolling their eyes. There she goes. She's talking about aquaculture and fish again. (laughs) Right. And actually my daughter said yesterday, we were learning about healthy fats today in school. And uh, the teacher asked, where can we eat healthy fats? Just so you know, I said salmon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But, you know, when I was first in the industry, um, definitely Sir Couturier. He was my professor uh, at Memorial University when I did the aquaculture program. Incredibly passionate about aquaculture, uh, all sides, but all facets of it a real proponent for it, but he, he's, he's just involved in everything and a loud voice in support of the industry. Um, when we moved back to Newfoundland, then I was lucky enough to work with him at NIA. So then he became a colleague and now he's a colleague of mine at Kaya, the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. So I feel truly grateful that uh, he's been my professor and friend for the better part of 25 years now. Uh, when I moved to BC, I just remember seeing Linda Sams. Uh, she works for CERMAC now as their sustainability director. And Sharon D. Dominicus, she's retired now, but she was the sustainability director for MOE. 
And they were about 10 years ahead of me in, in career. And they were just really incredible women because I felt like I was looking in the mirror, but just like 10 years ahead, they had the same mandate. I did the same passion for the environment, the same passion for doing the right thing, for feeding the world in a sustainable way. Um, and upon meeting them, I knew I wanted to stick with this industry because I was like, we were kind of a close-knit group of people who, who all have the same intention uh, in getting into the industry. And, and so they, you know, incredible mentors. And right now, Larry Johnson, who I work with, he's the president of NSLP. He's his uh, First Nations name is Anichichis, which means protector of the ocean. And, and that's who he is. I, I'm still learning from Larry, but I learned so much from him on um, creating a values-based business, um, looking forward, not just five and 10 years in business planning, but a hundred years for sustainability and for community planning. Um, about He's always telling me, you have two ears, but you have one mouth. You need to listen twice as much as you talk, which is hard for a Newfoundlander because we love to talk so much. Certainly I do. Um, but it was a valuable lesson on really, um, he tells me to listen to understand, not listen to respond. And how First Nations live their life um, by these guiding values. And, and it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable experience for me to be able to work with First Nations communities and, and see how they live and learn from it and try to adopt some of that. How does it feel now to have younger aquaculturists seek to you for mentorship, thinking about all the mentors you've had, and now you're kind of doing a full circle moment of mentoring other people? Man, it's humbling a little bit. Like I said, there's this today and you're saying all these wonderful things. And I had that young woman yesterday and um, I don't know, I still feel like I'm young and new in this industry because it evolves so fast and you're always learning and keeping up. You know, it's, it feels good. It feels old some days, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But no, I, 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 I just, I just feel really blessed to have had the career I had. And if, and if people are looking at that and, and aspiring towards it, then wow, how lucky am I? I? I don't even know how to answer that because I'm still looking ahead at so many other people in admiration that, you know. But do you give advice for anyone who's thinking about or is starting to enter the sector? Yes, do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't have picked a better career path for me. However, you know, it's, it's it's an industry that has a fit for everybody, right? Like, so even just in the career development side of things, like I started, I worked on a seaside. I've worked in human resources. I've worked in sizing fish. I've worked uh, in production. Then I worked on the regulatory development, community development, communications. Now I'm running a seafood company. We're doing branding and marketing. Like, it's always different, right? So there's just all these avenues, but I, there's just a fit for everybody in aquaculture too. I say, you know, if you want to be an engineer, there's a fit for you in aquaculture, go build some cages and float homes. If you're an architect, if you're an electrician, if you're a feed scientist, uh, interest in fish health, like whatever your interest is, like there is a fit for you in aquaculture. And it's a growth sector. Like the world needs aquaculture. We are the solution to so many things, you know, and the FAO predicts there's still gonna be a seven to 9% increase in seafood demand in the coming years. It's not going to be done on the back of commercial fisheries. It's going to be done with a balance of commercial fisheries and aquaculture. And so there's so much opportunity because while growth has been stagnated in Canada, it's going to happen. It's going to accelerate. There's no avoiding it. The world needs aquaculture. So if you're looking for a career, it's definitely an area of growth. 
And, you know, it's a career that I've been all over the world. Like I've lived in Hawaii, I've lived in BC, I've lived in Newfoundland, but I have traveled all around Europe. I've been to Norway five times. I've been to Chile. Like if you, my husband went into aquaculture because he wanted to see the world. Like that was his mandate. And it's, it's just one of those amazing industries that you can do that because it's not just here in North America. Aquaculture is everywhere. It's needed everywhere. So it's a, it's a really exciting uh, career to get involved in. And it ticks a lot of the boxes, right? You know, like look at the world right now. What do we need? Food security, check. What do we need? Indigenous reconciliation, check. Food safety, check. Economic recovery, check. Like it just checks so many boxes that if you're looking to uh, contribute to a better world, aquaculture will help you do that. Um, Yeah, a lot of your career has been dedicated to advocacy, especially for championing for First Nations relations in aquaculture and Indigenous relations in aquaculture. Do you yourself have Indigenous roots? I do not. um, And I would never speak for First Nations. However, probably the most rewarding part of all of my career has been working with and for uh, Indigenous people. And really assisting with them to raise their voice for those who do participate in the industry to be better understood and to advocate to the government to put in proper supports to increase Indigenous participation in aquaculture. I fully believe that the growth of the industry should be uh, led by First Nations and in partnership with First Nations. And, And we're seeing more of that. And we're seeing some you know, amazing relationships between industry and Indigenous communities and Indigenous-led business development. And and it's it's been nothing but positive. So it's been probably the most rewarding part of my career is really learning um, how to create a values-based business and create that balance. Balance is really important. It's really a big part of the guiding principles that First Nations live their life on is establishing that balance and looking forward in sustainability to 100 years, seven generations. And uh, yeah, it's like, what better way to build an aquaculture industry by doing it, establishing that balance and establishing that level of sustainability that is not what First Nations do, it's who they are, right? Like, and it's, it's difficult to communicate that and put into words, you know, I myself am an environmentally minded person and everything I do in my house with the kids and everything, you know, we think, well, do we need to use that plastic or should we? That's what we do. But with First Nations, it's, it's a part of their being. It's who they are. For those of us who are non-Indigenous, you know, what have you learned in terms of their relationship with the fishing and aquaculture industry that's so unique to the First Nations and Indigenous community? Well, basically what I said, you know, that establishment of balance um, and, and staying true to the guiding principles. So, you know, when I discuss with Larry any business opportunities or potential partnerships that are coming up, the first thing is not asked about, you know, what is the revenue or return on investment? The first thing is asked is about core values, right? Is there a synergy in the core values? What are this company's core values? If we're looking at opportunities, the first thing he asked is, where does this take us in 100 years? What does this mean for seven generations? And they have um, the New Chalmers people live their life on guiding principles of Isak, Ichusawak, and Uafuk, which means taking care of with respect, um, being grateful for what you have, don't take more than what you need, you know, taking care with a modern approach. And it, again, it's just a fascinating way to do business that your first lens, like the first filter that you go through in identifying opportunities is really around these values 
and then we look at the feasibility and then we look at um, the benefit that can come out of it. So yeah, it's it's an incredible way to work with First Nations. I mean, it's their it's their land, it's their water. So that level of oversight for sustainability is ingrained in everything they do. So and you know, when they look at anything that has anything to do with putting things into their resources or extracting their resources, it goes through that filter first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that feeling of stewardship, isn't it? Um, it's beyond stewardship, right? Like well beyond stewardship. And you know, I have a neat story. When we were creating the gratitude seafood brand, I mean, the whole reason why we call it gratitude is because it really encapsulated um, kind of the intent of what we were doing within this brand. But we were working with a company to help us establish the brand story, come up with a name and different things. And so the first thing we did was take them around to all of our communities to meet the people, hear some songs, listen to some stories, took them out on the water. And they weren't really well-versed in Indigenous culture. So this was kind of a, a lesson in that. And I remember one of the brand guys was like, oh, like First Nations, they're like green before green was a thing. <laughs> I just like, wouldn't it be marvelous if we all lived by these guiding principles all along, right? Maybe the planet wouldn't be uh, in the state it is today if we, you know, adhere to these guidelines. It seems like we're learning more from First Nations on how we should treat the planet now. And and hopefully we continue to learn that. But yeah, I thought that was really neat. Green before green was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So learning about your career and doing my reading about you and even talking to you right now, um, advocacy is such a huge part of your work and sort of your intention for your career. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that's important to you? Yeah, I think that the industry is not well understood. I mean, when you think about it, it's been around in Canada probably less than 40 years, around 40 years. It's a really young industry. Um, I think what's really important and one of the things I learned when you when you're involved in the industry, you just kind of make an assumption that everybody knows what you're talking about, right? And we are food producers, we are farmers. And when you talk to people outside of the industry, that's almost new information sometimes, which I find shocking. But again, it's we're not well understood. And so the advocacy is really important um, because while people certainly buy our product and eat our product, they don't often connect the dots to the activity to the product. And so Ensuring there's that level of advocacy within government to promote the industry, to help the industry grow and put in the regulations in place to um, get that business security and environmental security. It's really important because all that filters back to the public and ensuring that they know exactly who it is we are, what it is we do, the amazing things that we do, the amazing products that we produce, because there is a real lack of understanding. I think if you asked people where their food came from, consumers are getting way more savvy on understanding kind of the origin of their food. But within aquaculture, it's uh, there's still a learning curve there. So it's up to us to keep educating. Um, for those who don't know, while you're working as CEO at NSLP, you also serve as chair of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. And a lot of your work there has been about being vocal, about getting government support for developing seafood farming. And I'd love to share some links with our listeners about some of the letters and op-eds that you've written about this topic, especially in thinking about, you know, what's happening in the Discovery Islands nearby. What would you say is lacking in that dialogue between government and the industry? Oh, yeah. You know, there's 
we need better dialogue at a higher political level. And, you know, if you look back 25 years, Canada was the number one seafood exporter. Like we're eighth now. It's ridiculous. We have not had leadership at a political level um, for seafood, uh, in particular in aquaculture. And, and we need that. If you look at the Canadian Agriculture and Agri-Foods Canada, they promote their farmers. They promote their industry. They have marketing programs, insurance programs, advertising programs just for the farmers. Something separate, the Canadian, the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, they are the ones who do the regulation. So it's separate. They have a promoter. They have leadership. They have somebody who's promoting and talking about the industry. So, you know, if you're a terrestrial farmer, most people fully understand that on a political level, the importance of farming, the importance of that food production system. We don't have that in aquaculture. We don't have that in seafood. We only have DFO, who is supposed to be the enabler and the regulator, which is not an overly appropriate thing to enable and regulate uh, an industry. We're managed under a fisheries act that we were never fit for in the beginning. So we you know, definitely need to push for an aquaculture act to get a better understanding at a political level what aquaculture is all about, because I think um, the industry has evolved very quickly in the you know, few years that we've been uh, producing in Canada. And at, at a political level, that's not well understood. And a lot of that, there is no internal leader who's educating anybody on the importance of this industry and where the growth and opportunities lie within this industry. You know, the Canadian government now is talking a lot about blue economy. So I think there's a vehicle now for this. Um, but we do, we need to establish a leader that's going to promote so that, you know, the seafood farmers have access to some of the same benefits that the agriculture farmers have. And, and so, yeah, that conversation needs to continue to happen. I'm very excited about the blue economy and the blue economy strategy. And if you're going to be putting up links, certainly put up the link that Kaya has on the blue economy strategy that we collaboratively worked with the Fisheries Council of Canada about, because we have a plan, you know, um, and the plan is laid out. Uh, Canada needs to adopt a plan. We don't have one in fisheries or aquaculture right now, and we need one. I mean, look, we have the largest coastline in all of the world. We have four times the coastline as Norway, but Norway beats us by four times the value in their output. And that shouldn't be the case. That's why I'm saying like in terms of career development, the growth is here. The growth is going to happen here, hopefully sooner than later. But yeah, those dialogues need to happen and there needs to be a real education process by the powers and government to really acknowledge the benefits of this industry especially to rural and coastal communities, especially to First Nations communities. For the aquaculturists that are listening to this podcast, um, how do they get involved? How do they educate themselves and maybe help in that bridging of the gap between the government and the industry? It's all about communication, right? Tell people what you do, right? Build that local support, write your MPs, vote, Right. The platforms here in British Columbia, you know, when there's an election, aquaculture is usually talked about in these regions. Show up to these uh, public meetings, show up and ask the questions, tell your story. It's not well understood. And the more people that you meet that you're like, oh, you're in aquaculture, you're a nice guy, you, you know, <laughs> you're my neighbor and these things. It's not well understood. And it, it's really important to really communicate what you do and, and, and to talk loud and clear about all the benefits of this industry and, and your experience on the ground as a person involved. Is there something that um, aquaculturists need to do in terms of how they tell their story? I feel like 
as an industry, we do communicate with each other quite well. But in terms of people outside of our industry, there's still that, you know, communication gap that we talked about before. Like, is there something that we need to change in how we're telling the story to the consumer, to the public? Yeah. And I, that's a never ending question, right? And we do communicate very well with each other, but, um, you know, social media has kind of created that too, right? You can share all you want, but you're sharing amongst your own kind of group. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing quite a bit is showing up at the schools, right? And I get invited now to come talk to the grade eight class at, you know, Southgate Middle School about what we do and the importance of aquaculture, fisheries. And, you know, the real big thing about the communications is just to talk to your friends and neighbors and where there's opportunities in public forums during election times, or if letters are being written to government, if they're looking for feedback, I know the blue economy strategy was open for uh, consultation to participate in that right? Really participate in that. And, you know, we're seeing further engagement now with Indigenous communities coming together to raise their voice in support of development of the industry. And, and there needs to be more of that as well, so that the government can hear and listen. But, you know, really, it's just about everywhere, communicate and really participate in the government processes uh, that you see come up and, and make sure you're aware of them. Uh, does Kaya have resources that people can access? We have some. I mean, we're a pretty small uh, team uh, internally, but I do encourage people to go to the website, follow us on Twitter, follow us on all the social media, because as things come up, then we do broadcast that for, you know, there's feedback required on this or the Aquaculture Act's coming up and it's open for public consultation, you know, these types of things, but also some of the activities and stories that are happening within the industry get broadcasted that way as an education process as well that comes out from our members. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for this conversation. A lot of important topics that we address and it's so great to actually take the time and really dig into your insights about the industry and what you've learned from meeting with different aquaculturists, especially those in the indigenous community who I feel don't get enough of a seat at the table. But I'd like to end the podcast with some quick fire, sort of lightning round last thoughts. So the first one is, what is the best advice you ever received? Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. That's, that's been pivotal in the past few years of my life. Because I think uh, in this industry, or just maybe it's just my personality, when I'm hearing something that I'm thinking about my response, right? I'm waiting for my opportunity to talk. And when you let that go, and truly listen, it changes your perspective sometimes, and it gives a more meaningful uh, dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, well, I think, I mean, part of it, stop being so scared, just take the job and go, because I've changed positions so often, and oftentimes that comes with what if, right? Just do it. Just let go of that anxieties. But also, I was so environmentally focused in the beginning, and um, I, I was ignorant to the fact that the economic benefits uh, were equally as important when I was young. But I mean, it's it's all a part of evolving as a person. When I first got into the industry, I was you know just off the COVID crisis, very passionate about the environment, went into it as a means to save the world. And at that time, other people were saying, well, we need to look at the economy and the benefits to these rural communities. And, and I wasn't as open to that. I was very focused on the environment. And it wasn't until I matured as a person, um, then had my own family and really 
really saw the economic turnaround of economically depressed communities and the communities that were thriving, that it was like, yeah, no, this is really, really important. And then, and then working with Indigenous communities uh, in the same way. So I think I would go back and say, open your mind to the economic side of things too, because maybe I could have made further strides and further benefited had I given some focus on that as well. Favorite piece of tech that you use at work every day? Oh, thank God for our phones, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Just also my email and also my Zoom and everything. So, I mean, right now it, it, it has to be the technology here in front of us that's allowing us to, to even have this conversation face-to-face in a virtual manner. And I can be on the go. I'm a mom of two kids. I'm super busy. And I can still maintain my work and maintain my communications just in the palm of my hand. So kudos to the phone most days. <laughs> This is my favorite thing to talk about in the fish community. What is your favorite fish pun or joke? <laughs> my kids are going to kill me. I have two. Okay, great. Perfect. Let's take both. <laughs> one's super lame, but one's really funny. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> why wasn't the clam very good at sharing? Oh, why? You were shellfish. <laughs> <laughs> great. Very <laughs> my great. My favorite one. Uh, what do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't know. Shh. Okay. I love that. (laughs) I feel like you ask me jokes. I love lame jokes. Yeah. But also like fish and like oceans and like water just has, it opens up to a lot of funny double entendres. I think that's why I love this question. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for taking the time again. um, Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. There's so many things to learn from you and from the work that you do. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. What a great conversation. I think you can tell that there were certain parts of that conversation where I was just so excited to ask her questions and get her insight on so many different things that I think I should just take her advice on listening more and listening more intently. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Women in North American Aquaculture. We referenced a lot of resources during our conversation, so be sure to check out our website, aquaculturenorthamerica.com women. That's where you will find all the links, photos, episode highlights, and other extras. Once again, we want to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for making this project possible. <laughs>